from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. They're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Friday, May 15th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. Pretty serious story breaking later yesterday. Arrest warrants issued for New York Giants cornerback and DeAndre Baker and a new member of the Seattle Seahawks cornerback, Quentin Dunbar, in connection to an armed robbery investigation. Those warrants issued in South Florida and Baker and Dunbar both accused of stealing money and watches with force while armed with semi-automatic firearms. The warrant includes conflicting accounts from witnesses as to whether Dunbar was armed, but states that Baker intentionally threatened victims with a firearm. We'll discuss all the details um, and the facts of that according to the arrest warrants themselves. Um, The Seahawks acquired 27-year-old Dunbar in a March trade with Washington Uh, They even introduced him to reporters on a video call earlier Thursday, reportedly about eight or so hours, nine hours after this allegedly took place. So we'll dig through some of that audio all ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. As I mentioned, arrest warrants have been issued in South Florida for New York Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker, uh, who's 22 years old, and Seattle Seahawks cornerback Quentin Dunbar, the 27-year-old, in connection to an armed robbery investigation. Baker and Dunbar are accused of stealing money and watches at a party with force while armed with semi-automatic firearms. According to the affidavit and application for arrest warrant, which was filed in the circuit court of the 17th Judicial Court, Broward County, Florida, by Detective Mark Morietti, who interviewed um, four victims and one witness, Baker's arrest warrant is for four counts of armed robbery with a firearm and four counts of aggravated assault with a firearm. Meanwhile, Quentin Dunbar is wanted on four counts of armed robbery with a firearm. I'll read you directly from those counts. Um, They said that the state of Florida, one Quentin Desheen Dunbar, did knowingly commit the act of armed robbery, took money and watches belonging to the victims with force, permanently depriving them of said property. In the course of committing the robbery, Quentin Dunbar was armed with a semi-automatic firearm. The alleged incident took place late Wednesday night at a party that began that evening. Shortly after midnight yesterday, police were called to a residence in Miramar, Florida, in response to a call of armed robbery that occurred approximately 45 minutes earlier. And upon arrival, as I mentioned, police meeting with four victims and one witness who are all quoted uh, three, at least in this report, identified the one witness as Dominic Johnson. The names of the victims redacted to protect them. Victim account number one was the residence owner and party host. And according to him, this party started at around 8 p.m. on Wednesday, May 13th. And the party began around 8 p.m., as I mentioned. He said numerous individuals were in attendance. He didn't know all of them, but one of the attendees slash assailants was later identified as DeAndre Baker. He stated under oath that he was outside cooking food when he heard a commotion inside. When he looked inside the residence, he observed DeAndre Baker with a gun in his hand. Baker was pointing it at one of the attendees of the party, and he alleged that Baker was directing two other individuals to take money and valuables from the other attendees. He also stated that Quentin Dunbar 
was assisting Baker in taking the money and valuables from the attendees. He added the assailant, a third person uh, who was there and only identified in the police report or in the affidavit as a man named Shy, was there wearing a red mask. He took his valuables, the, the residence owner, at the direction of Baker and also stated that Baker directed the assailant in the red mask to shoot uh, one of the victims who had just walked into the party. Thankfully, that did not happen. But victim account number two, who was just a, a party goer and had just walked in when the alleged incident was unfolding, he was interviewed by police and said he had just walked into the residence um, when he saw Baker directing the individual in the red mask, the guy known as Shy, to shoot him. Uh, he added that the person wearing the red mask robbed him of $7,000 uh, and a watch valued at $25,000. And that Baker pointed a gun at him and he was in fear for his life. He stated that two other individuals were armed with firearms, but Quentin Dunbar was not. He indicated those who were involved in the robbery all left together in three different vehicles. And he was under the impression, told police he was, that this was planned out. This was premeditated because of the way the vehicles, a Mercedes-Benz, Lamborghini and a BMW, were later pre-positioned to have an expedited immediate departure from the area, at least in his mind. Um, as for the third victim that interviewed by police, um, they said that Baker pointed a gun at him and told him to give him all of his money. It was $600 and his watch valued at $600 also and stated that Baker directed the person with the red mask to shoot this other victim as he walked into the area. According uh, to him, though, he did not see Quentin Dunbar with a firearm, but he did see and hear him directing others to take valuables. He then stated uh, that uh, he fled from the residence via the back patio door. Finally, they interviewed one witness who didn't have anything stolen from him, um, but knew and was familiar with both of the people. His name is Dominic Johnson, and everybody around that residence just referred to him as coach. He attended the party uh, at that house and said that everyone was playing cards and video games. According to him, though, a fight broke out between one of uh, the redacted names another and another unnamed individual. Johnson said he had known Baker and Dunbar since they were kids. Johnson said that Baker and Dunbar attended the party as well and that he saw Baker armed with a handgun, but he did not see a firearm in Dunbar's possession. Johnson stated none of his valuables were taken, nor was he threatened by any of the armed assailants because they knew him. He was in contact with Baker and actually let police dial him from his cell phone, but Baker refused to speak with police and then hung up the call. Um, detectives also attempted to later contact Baker and Dunbar via their cell phones, but were unsuccessful. They did say, or the policeman who, who ended up signing the affidavit said that the offenders were known to the victims. They knew they were professional football players. How they actually knew everybody in attendance still kind of um, unknown. Both offenders are publicly known individuals, it said. And an important note in here, uh, the affiant said that he could not conclusively state that Dunbar committed the offense of aggravated assault with a firearm. However, he was still an active participant in the armed robbery, aiding and assisted Baker and the other unknown offenders. So based upon the totality of the circumstances, uh, he said that Quentin Dunbar did, in fact, knowingly commit the offense of armed robbery. And that's why those charges are included in here. Uh, the NFL said Thursday night it's aware of everything going on and they don't have a comment, no further comment at this time. The league will review the incident under its personal conduct policy and hand out discipline if they uh, if it's warranted. Baker, now just 22 years old, was a first round pick of the Giants back in 2019. They actually traded up to select him with a 30th pick. The Seahawks, meanwhile, 
acquired 27-year-old Dunbar in a March trade with Washington. And even hours earlier, after hours after this reportedly happened, I think nine hours after they introduced him to Seattle to the media on a video call earlier, uh, and Dunbar making 11 starts last season, 25 over five years with Washington. Uh, they signed him as an undrafted free agent out of Florida in 2015, nine career interceptions and six over the past two seasons. He had become, though, uh, dissatisfied with his contract, reportedly requested to be traded or released, and was entering uh, the final year of that deal, had a non-guaranteed base salary of $3.25 million. Shortly before the warrant, he was uh, introduced, held a 15-minute introductory teleconference call uh, and talked with Seattle por- reporters. So we'll we'll dig into a little bit of that sound later in this hour. But Seahawks said in a statement that the team was aware of the situation involving Quentin Dunbar and still gathering information. We will defer all further comment to league investigators and local authorities. Um, as for the Giants, they said a similar statement that they're aware of everything going on right now, but no further comment as the, at this time. Um, we'll dig into some sound, some reaction from Paul Moyer and Dave Wyman, because the story kind of breaking uh, yesterday late in the day. So on Bob, Dave and more. That's coming up next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you. Talking through the facts of the case yesterday because the news coming in late yesterday that arrest warrants have been issued in South Florida for Seattle Seahawks cornerback Quentin Dunbar as well as New York Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker in connection to an armed robbery investigation. We already discussed the the facts of the case and what we know, at least according to the affidavit, which ended in Detective Mark Morietti saying he could not conclusively state that Dunbar committed the offense of aggravated assault with a firearm. However, he was still an active participant in the armed robbery, aiding and assisted Baker and the other known offenders. So based on the facts of the case, Quentin Dunbar did in fact knowingly commit the offense of armed robbery. Dunbar was expected to compete with Trey Flowers for the Seahawks starting job at right cornerback. And about, I don't know, 10 hours after this occurred, he was actually introduced to the Seattle media and spoke about uh, expecting to start at right cornerback. For right now, I'm probably going to, you know, they don't want to throw a lot at me at once. So I'm probably going to just start out on that right side. And once, you know, I learn that right side, then, you know, the sky's the limit. And I'm just open to help the team. Further implications of this, too. Uh, Paul Moyer and Dave Wyman chatting through this yesterday on Bob, Dave and more. And Paul Moyer giving some thoughts on on uh, this just being an unfortunate situation. It, you know, so I'll flip to, to the other side. The reason why it stings so bad, it, it sucks. He's a young man who is his career was just blossoming. He at next year, he was good. I don't even know if we would have been able to afford him. I, I think he was a pro bowl type of guy. I think he's going to get, you know, that 10, $12 million a year contract. But I, you know, we didn't draft a corner. I'm just going to go from a selfish side now for the Seahawks. I, I expected him to start. I don't, I don't know how you even come close to replacing this. And uh, it, it stings. Paul Moyer on if Dunbar's gone, losing that potential Pro Bowl or what it means for the defense. Oh, hell, I, 
I look, I think it's tough because I think the upgrade from Quentin was so big. Um, you know, at at worst, again, I mean, or you pushed Trey Flowers to be better because of competition, right? Um, you know, we we have more pieces to play around with, and we're we just match up so well. Quentin Dunbar was so good at jumping routes at, at, at that pattern recognition, which I've shared a couple of times. He's so good at it. Played right into what the 49ers do and the Rams do. I mean, it was it, it was a really a perfect piece for us. Look, Trey's going to be better. Uh, you know, we, we we saw what he did last year. He's he's going to get better. This will be his third year ever playing corner. Um, we'll be okay, but we've immediately lost depth. I really think we lost a potential Pro Bowl guy if that if this thing plays out. Uh, Dave Wyman also on uh, if Dunbar is not a part of your team that that throws your roster a little upside down heading into camp. Right now, I mean, if you if they had more sacks and if they played a little bit tighter and Trey didn't have a lot of those you know pass interference penalties, which I thought were really the the thing that people criticized him over the most, you'd think, yeah, you're doing okay there. But they just gen- in general, coverage wise, just they need. They need some help there. That's uh, every bit as important as the pass rush. And now you got this guy that you kind of counted on, thinking, "Man, this is a great signing." So I, I don't, I can't remember if it was you, Jim, or or Bob that you you thought, "Well, maybe this Logan Ryan kid, who Tennessee he came from Tennessee, maybe that's a fit now." But it's uh, it's really just throws your whole roster kind of up upside down if you're the Seahawks looking at it right now going into camp. And other available names out there on the corner market. Um, Dave Wyman saying most of the recognizable ones are, are getting up there in age. Some of the, the more recognizable names are, are pretty old. You know, they've gotten old. Tremaine Brock is in Tennessee, is on the list. And forgive me if any, any of these guys have, have signed, but Dominique Rogers Cromarty, you know, he's 34. And, you know, I guess if you're the Seahawks, Jamar Taylor's out there, guys, by the way, was worth it. Atlanta, and we've done nothing but rip him, unfortunately. Nice guy, but, you know, he didn't work out here. But, yeah, I'm looking at in, in, uh, some of Drake or Patrick you mentioned, um, and then a few guys with Seattle, Akeem King and Kalen Reed, that are out there, and if all is equal, you know, they'd probably rather have a guy back that's familiar, at least. Um, in addition to this big story breaking yesterday, we've also heard a couple of rumors floated this week, including uh, the one that Seahawks conti- uh, considered treating Russell Wilson to Cleveland back in 2018. Earlier in the week, Chris Sims, Mike Florio discussing that here with Sims. I had heard a rumor from some people that I trusted a few years ago that, you know, Seattle called Cleveland when they had the number one pick. And there was this rumor going around the NFL that they offered Russell Wilson to the Browns for the number one pick the year they drafted Baker Mayfield. I never followed up, but I just know I had people tell me that that was something people were hearing. Uh, But now we're two years down the road, three years down the road, and I think the Seahawks have totally flipped the organization over to where it is all about Russell Wilson. And, yeah, he's more untradeable now, and I think he was even then. It sounded pretty absurd when you heard it. And then yesterday, Tim Hasselbeck coming out and saying he heard the same rumor. I do know that they were, they were definitely talked about Russell Wilson being traded back then. Yes. I don't know, if it was, you know totally if it was just the Browns or where else that went, but yeah. Well, what more can you tell me? You, uh, the interruption is appreciated. What more can you tell me? Well, I, I, do, I just think that um, told by people in the organization that would know, 
you know, I think the comment was they were looking at some players in that draft, and some of the players that were they were looking at it were surprised because of where they were picking. It was like, well, why would you be looking at these players? Um, and uh, basically, it was going to be an effort to get a bunch of picks and obviously move way up. And um, you know, Russell Wilson, you know, would have helped make that happen. And then you and you know, I wasn't thinking Russell when the guy made the comment to me, and um, you know, originally, and then kind of talked. With him and someone else, you know, after that, and um, you know, kind of came up like, "Hey, the name might surprise you." Like, "Hey, it's not Bobby Wagner." You know, it's a big name, but it's not Bobby Wagner. Is it a coincidence that while we are starved for sports con- <laughs> content, that this rumor uh, is being floated out there when people most need things to chat about? Perhaps I don't know, because uh, it seems like that might be a content generator to me. Up next on the Blitz, Colin Coward had a pretty passionate reaction to it earlier this week, and he doubled down uh, as well. So I'll play that sound for you. Plus, Blake Snell pretty candid about his desire to not play for less money this year because of the risk to his health, and Bryce Harper coming out in support of him. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Friday, May 15th. We made it to Friday. Just if you need a reminder of what day of the week it is, I'm here for you. That's the reason I'm here. Thanks for hanging out this morning. Yesterday on Bob, Dave, and more, Joe Thomas the former NFL offensive tackle now hosts a pretty cool podcast uh, called The Tom Hawk Show with Andrew Hawkins, who, by the way, has been hilarious during quarantine, uh, stretching some of uh, his comedy stylings in the videos he's making and parroting The Last Dance. But uh, these two hosting a great podcast called The Tom Hawk Show. Joe Thomas joining Bob David Moore yesterday to talk about the Seahawks and the state of the offensive line. Joe, we've had a lot of upheaval here with the Seahawks offensive line, and, and it goes against everything we've ever heard about offensive lines. That man, that you got to that continuity is absolutely crucial. These guys work in concert with each other. You've got to develop that chemistry. Too much change isn't good. And right now, we're potentially looking at four new starters on this line. You've got Dwayne Brown as your left tackle. Yapati comes back, but no, no certainty he's going to start. You're going to have a new center. You're going to have a new right guard and a new right tackle. How, is that too much? Well, it would definitely be concerning to me if I was a Seahawks fan, especially considering the short and off season. Uh, I think you hit the nail on when you're talking offensive line play. It's all about experience. It's all about playing together, being in the system for a long time. And uh, having those changes takes time to get things figured out. It takes time to get on the same page because there's a lot of nonverbal communication that happens on the line of scrimmage. Uh, at the line of scrimmage before the snap. And a lot of times, especially when you're in a loud environment, you can just be able to look to the guy to your left or look to the guy to your right and just that glance, and you can change the alignment. And if there's a lot of mistakes up front, screws up everything in the passing game, screws up everything in the running game. And I think what Seattle wants to do, especially with a great quarterback like Russell Wilson, is being able to establish the run, force the defense to come up on the line of scrimmage, try to stop the run, and it gives Russell so many opportunities to make big plays with his arm, extending the play, throwing the football down the field. But you eliminate the ability to run the football because you're getting TFLs, you're getting leakage on, on the offensive line too consistently because guys haven't played together. They're, they're not understanding the nonverbal communication that has to happen. 
that's going to just be a trickle down into the passing game, and it's going to hurt Russell. And, and for Seattle to be successful, they need to have a stout offensive line that can get the ball down the field, running the football, and open things up for the big plays with Russell Wilson's arm. Joe, how much harder is it as an offensive lineman to block for a guy like Russell that's always on the move? Well, you know, it's it's the funny question because it's how you define hard. Uh, he makes you look really good a lot of times because there's times <laughs> that you ole your defensive lineman, you throw the no-hitter block, and your guy's running straight at Russell, and he sees him, and he makes a miss, and all of a sudden – what is a sure sack of a quarterback that's old and geriatric, like maybe a Tom Brady, turns into a huge play. And so what you get from a defensive line standpoint is you get a lot more conservative, generic rushes. They don't want to let Russell outside the pocket. They don't want those uh, big hits where they could potentially miss. You just want to slowly kind of constrict him from the defensive standpoint because the biggest problem that he poses is getting outside of the pocket. Uh, and so you get a lot more generic pass rushes, but... Uh, with that being said, you oftentimes don't know where he's going to be. You've got to just hope that he's where he's supposed to be. But if your guy turns and all of a sudden starts running to the sideline, you got to go run with him because you don't really know where Russell is because you don't have eyes in the back of your head. Uh, and so as long as you're hustling, I think he, he actually makes your job easier because he can make a horrible play into a touchdown play. But uh, you got to make sure that you're willing to sacrifice and run five, six seconds into the play because you just don't know where he's going to be, and he's probably going to hang on to the ball a lot longer than most quarterbacks. Hey, Joe, you're, you're there in Cleveland. You played for the Browns for a long time. We've been talking about Chris Sims' report and T Tim Hasselbeck about the discussions the Seahawks and Browns uh, supposedly had about the number one overall pick for Russell Wilson back in 2018. I've got a couple for you here. Uh, do you believe those rumors? And if it had happened, Joe, would you have put off retirement for another year? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I think there's always a lot of craziness that's being talked about around the draft and shortly after the draft. Um, and I think because we are in this weird, crazy coronavirus isolation times, there's not as much regular stuff to talk about. And so I think people latch onto these rumors and, and, uh, uh, innuendo and maybe there's a hint of truth there, but a lot of times I think it's people maybe just talking because we've got nothing else to talk about. So I really wouldn't put a whole lot of stock into that, but uh, certainly if I had any gas left in the tank, I'd still love to be out there playing football because it's a great way to make a living. In the meantime, now doing it as a host and a very good job, that's the Tomahawk Show. And you should follow him on Twitter, too, because they're just really funny. Joe Thomas on Bob David Moore. Full interview available at 710sports.com. Also yesterday, getting to hear from one of our favorites, the Gras, joining Tom, Jake, and Stacy. Uh, he reacted to Blake Snell's comments that were made while live streaming on Twitch, playing video games, as uh, Blake does quite a bit. Classically famous on his Twitch channel uh, is the name of it, but... Uh, Graz reacting to Blake Snell's comments that he didn't want to take a pay cut in order uh, to play this season. I'll just play you a clip of it. But in addition to playing for for less, Blake said, uh, there's also a higher chance he gets sick. And on top of that, so all that money's gone. And now I play risking my life. And, and, what, and if I get the Rona on top of that, if I get the Rona, guess what happens with that? Oh, yeah, that stay, that's in my body forever. That damage is not going to be like 
the damage that was done to my body, that's going to be there forever. So now I got to play with that on top of that. We'll hear the full comments in just a minute, but Graz reacting to those yesterday on Tom Jacobs, Stacey. It's probably what a lot of players are thinking, but the optics of it are terrible. It sounds terrible. It looks terrible. But um, the fact of the matter is you are asking guys to, to take a pay cut and risk their lives. And, and uh, even though the season is shorter, and, and they've already kind of agreed to it. So, I mean, he's, he's already, they've already agreed to do a prorated salary deal for 82 games. So, you know, he's getting a pay cut no matter how you slice it. But you're right, Tom. I mean, the underlying things are probably what a lot of players are thinking. It's just absolutely terrible optics from, from that standpoint, uh, utterly a tone depth, uh, even though even though I think I agree with you entirely. I think there's some underlying truth to it, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to play well anywhere, not anywhere. And um, it's too bad for him because he's, he, this is – this is what uh, he's a Cy Young Award winner, a Seattle guy, and and uh, I imagine uh, this is something that's going to be remembered that he said it for a long time. Yeah, it, it is something. It's interesting, Graz, because as you mentioned, all those things, those accolades, you know, him being a local kid uh, here in the Northwest, it, it is. This is definitely going to be something that uh, you know holds on to his name for quite some time, and it's interesting because now this is being put on the players. This is them saying yes or no, when in reality the the owners are the ones that have come to them with this 50-50 proposal. How do every time the owners find a way to put things on the players, you know, from the public perspective instead of having the heat on them? It's one of the great mysteries, Jake, because it's the way it's been, uh, it's the way it was. uh, You know, it's funny, uh, we think about the, NFL deal that was done right before this whole thing came down. It feels like a million years ago, but that was the same thing then uh, where, um, you know, and I don't know if it's a PR thing that the owners are able to, are able to make their point better than the players are. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I will say this. I mean, for anyone who's on the fence on it or doesn't have all the information on it, I mean, when you hear a guy say this, you're not thinking about anything but the fact that Jeezy's making a lot of money and, and, um, you know, he's still going to make it, uh, not as much, but, but still going to make it, and and uh, he doesn't want to play. He doesn't want to take it. He doesn't want to, I mean, run the risk, I guess, and, and that's kind of what the players are all about is is we're running a serious risk here. So, you know, like I said, they've already agreed to do the pro rating thing. That's, that's already happened. So I'm not sure what he's talking about, about getting his, his full payment, unless he's, he's, not, he's not willing to, to go with the deal that they've already struck. But uh, I don't know, Jake. Uh, it, it's, it's always been a great mystery to me why – while people are more inclined to side with uh, with owners on things like this, but I will say this: statements like uh, the one that Blake Snell made, while while uh, as Tom pointed out, probably underlying true, is one of the reasons that um, people have a, a dim view of what the players are or or of the players in this circumstance. How about that? Always good to hear from the Graz, the one, the only, on Tom, Jake, and Stacy yesterday. Up next on the Blitz, it is time for the hot list. Some really interesting comments by former Pittsburgh Steelers star James Harrison. He said Coach Mike Tomlin handed him an envelope after a hit that ended up giving another player a concussion. I'll explain. It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for... 
The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! We heard some of Graz's reaction to Blake Snell's comments, but broke that news broke just right after I got off the air yesterday. So in case you haven't heard those comments, this was Blake Snell, who is a pretty active uh, video game player and also Twitch streamer and has also done, she said, a lot of cool charity work, charity uh, video game tournaments as of late on Twitch. Um, But he was on a stream and talked about why he's not interested in the revenue sharing plan first proposed by the owners earlier this week. I'm not splitting no revenue. I want all mine. Bro, y'all got to understand, too, because y'all going to be like, bro, Blake, play for the love of the game, man. What's wrong with you, bro? Money should not be a thing. Bro, I'm risking my life. What do you mean it should not be a thing? It 100% should be a thing. If I'm going to play, I should be getting money I signed to be getting paid. I should not be getting... Half of what I'm getting paid because the season's cut in half on top of a 33% cut of the half that's already there. So I'm really getting like 25%. On top of that, it's getting taxed. So imagine how much I'm actually making to play. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't making Snell continued that in addition to playing for less, there's also a higher risk for him. And on top of that, so all that money's gone. And now I play risking my life. And, and, what, and if I get the Rona, on top of that, if I get the Rona, guess what happens with that? Oh, yeah, that stay, that's in my body forever. That damage is not going to be, like, the damage that was done to my body, that's going to be there forever. So now I got to play with that on top of that. Blake's now making the point that the pay is less, the risk is higher, so why why would he be incentivized by that? Y'all got, I mean, y'all got to understand, man, for me to go, for me to take a pay cut is not happening because the risk is through the roof. It's a shorter season, less pet. Like, bro, it's, yeah, man, I got to, no, I got to get my money. I'm not playing unless I get mine, okay? And that's just the way it is for me. Like, I'm sorry if you guys think differently, but the risk is way the hell higher and the amount of money I make is way lower. Why would I think about doing that? Like, Like, you know, I'm just, I'm sorry. Blake also talked about how in his head, uh, he's sort of preparing for next season uh, and in that mindset and um, he loves baseball, but still not worth it for him. And a lot of players came out in support of him yesterday, including some big names like Bryce Harper and Nolan Arenado. Um, the media obviously having maybe a different reaction to that, but uh, a lot of players sharing these same sentiments and Jeff Passan explaining why. Blake Snell is making public what a lot of players are saying behind the scenes. Now, Certainly part of this is uh, players' efforts to try and cajole the owners and make them know that, hey, money is important to us and we are willing to potentially miss a season because of it. John Morosi also joining uh, joining Bob David Moore yesterday and talked about how he thinks that we'll see some MLB players that this decide they're simply not comfortable playing this season. Well, I think that they certainly do feel that there's being a risk, uh, there's risk involved in this, as I think we all realize that uh, until there's a vaccine, there's a risk for everybody doing anything that's not staying home uh, in, in many cases. And, and I think it's a matter of that risk calculation that's happening. I think a lot of players are 
are concerned, especially those that have either their own underlying conditions. And then Ken Rosenthal wrote a great story here recently at The Athletic about that and the number of people that uh, even major league players, David Dahl, for example, with the health issues that he's gone through with the Colorado Rockies, uh, those that may have diabetic members of their own family. Any sort of factors in your personal life that make your family or yourself a bit more susceptible, it's, it's part of the risk calculation. And I would say, guys, that we'll probably see players at this point in time uh, simply not comfortable playing. That makes sense. There's a lot of people in all professions that don't feel comfortable working in. And in an ideal world, in my mind, everyone who wants to work should be or have the opportunity to work in these times and these circumstances. Unfortunately, that's not the case for a lot of people who are without work or without a job, um, not by anything that they did, but because of where the society is at, where the economy is at right now. And that all people who feel uncomfortable with working would also have that opportunity to not work because these are just unprecedented times. And especially if you have pre-existing health conditions, if you have a young uh, family that needs attention, needs taking care of. So I understand where both sides are coming from. John Morosi, though, on the discussions between the Players Association and the owners and how it might be difficult to move past and a, a real difficulty for Major League Baseball's image down the road if they are the only league that doesn't come back and that sticking point ends up being financials. Well, Jim, that's a really key point. And, and I, I'm going to be optimistic. I realize there are still comments being made uh, on all sides of this, uh, including, as you mentioned, from, from Blake Snell today um, and a lot of emotion on this. I am willing to give this some time. I think this week and next week, it, it's still, I realize we're in the midst of a pandemic, but, but labor relations and bargaining are bargaining, and, and there will be statements made on both sides. That being said, if it is safe to play, and if the NBA comes back, and the NHL comes back, and the NFL comes back, and baseball doesn't come back because of financial reasons, it's going to be difficult to move past that. Yeah, that'll be a t- that'll be a tough sell for people right now. Again, everybody dealing with the impact of this and the hardships of this. John Morosi saying the way each league handles this will also have a lasting impact on the relationship with their fans. The sports that come back and and really welcome their fans back with the right level of uh, I think of sensitivity and and yes, the economic factors there are just making sure that it's easy to watch the games. Everything. The sports that do that well are going to have a seat at the table. For American sports and American families and American culture, I believe, for years to come. And those that do not do that, I think, will pay a price. Jerry DePoto joining Danny and Gallant yesterday. Michael Bump is standing in. But Jerry DePoto on Mariners and the players dealing with everything, dealing with everything as best they can. We're, we're dealing with the, the adversity everybody else is dealing with as best we can. And... I know our players are chomping at the bit to come back and play, uh, particularly seem to be getting a little bit uh, itchy of late. And I think it's because they see things pointed in the right direction. And and despite what I think is very clear and consistent communication using all the different virtual networks we have access to, is they want the human touch. They want to get out there and play the game and, and, and stop working on a small, I guess, the small detail to keep themselves as sharp as they can while they're shut in. 
Uh, former Los Angeles great Eric Dickerson set the NFL single season rushing record with uh, just over 2,100 yards, 2,105 in 1984 for the Rams. Uh, was pretty candid, and that's a theme right now in quarantine. Candid during a radio interview with 570 LA Sports on the AM side of things. He had been pretty vocal and criticized in the past the new logo for the Rams, but uh, now taking aim at the uniforms as they were released earlier in the week. Among his comments, he said the horns on the helmets look like two bananas and that the changes make them look soft. He said, quote, this is football. This ain't nothing to do with surfing. Uh, to do with waves, this is football, and to me, it just looks soft. It don't look like football. Uh, yeah, I could say I could see that. Dickerson currently, though, the Rams' vice president of business development, also said the team should have gotten input from the players before making the changes. There's been a couple of teams that revealed new unis this year, including Tampa Bay and also Los Angeles, the Chargers. And Dickerson said that he talked to their head coach Anthony Lynn, who said his team used the players' input in their changes, and Dickerson. At least wanted some representation and input from the players on this. Former Pittsburgh Steelers star James Harrison said his coach, Mike Tomlin, handed him an envelope after a devastating hit that the linebacker put on Cleveland Browns wide receiver Muhammad Masakwa back in 2010. Harrison was on Barstool's Going Deep podcast. Yep, you guessed it, candid interview, when he made the comments saying, quote, the gist thing Mike Tomlin ever did, he handed me an envelope after that. I'm not going to say what, but he handed me an envelope after that. Harrison initially was fined $75,000 for the hit. The NFL later reduced it to $50,000, and uh, it was that high, too, because he was considered a repeat offender. Had already been fined, I believe, already that season. Uh, Masqua suffered a concussion as a result of the head-to-head hit. It was not flagged in the game at the time, though. Harrison also said that, quote, um... I hit that man with about 50% of what I had, and I just hit him because I wanted him to let loose the ball. If I had known or if they knew they were going to fine me $75,000, I would have tried to kill him. Harrison's fine was high because, as I mentioned, considered a repeat offender, I'd been fined $5,000 earlier in that season for unnecessary roughness. Steelers president Art Rooney II immediately coming out, issuing a statement after Thursday, denying Harrison's claims. He said, I'm very certain nothing like this ever happened. I have no idea why James would make a comment like this, but there is simply no basis for believing anything like this. Obviously, the implications of that would be huge. We know what happened with the Saints, with Bounty Gate uh, and players or and coaches incentivizing hits and knocking players out of the game. So uh, we'll keep you posted on any further information on that. Also, pretty serious story yesterday. Arrest warrants have been issued in South Florida for New York Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker and Seattle Seahawks cornerback Quentin Dunbar in connection to an armed robbery investigation. Baker and Dunbar accused of stealing money and watches with force while armed with semi-automatic firearms. According to the affidavit and application for, uh, the, uh, for arrest warrant by Detective Mark Morietti, Baker's arrest warrant is for four counts of armed robbery with a firearm and four counts of aggravated assault with a firearm. Dunbar is wanted on four counts of armed robbery with a firearm, um, saying that he, quote, took uh, watches belonging to the victims with force, permanently depriving them of said property, sorry, money and watches, permanently depriving them of said property in course of committing the robbery. Uh, He was armed with a semi-automatic firearm. That's what it says in the official count in counts one through four. But later, the detective noting at the very end of the report that, uh, 
He could not conclusively state that Dunbar committed the offense of aggravated assault with firearm. However, he was still an active participant in the armed robbery, aiding and assisting Baker and the other known offenders. There were conflicting accounts from witnesses on whether Dunbar was armed, um, but the detective said that based on the totality of the circumstances, uh, Dunbar did, in fact, knowingly commit the offense of armed robbery. Uh, The offenses set forth in the affidavit are, um, you know, ones that they they intend to pursue. So um, a lot of implications here on how on how things proceed. He had actually given a press conference uh, about nine hours after this allegedly happened and was introduced to the Seattle media because the Seahawks acquiring the 27 year old Dunbar back in March in a trade with Washington. He made 11 starts last season and 25 over five years with Washington after they signed him as an undrafted free agent out of Florida back in 2015. He had requested to be traded or released, um, reportedly felt dissatisfied with his contract, which was entering its final year and had a non-guaranteed base salary of $3.25 million. And um, as I mentioned, introduced to Seattle media yesterday where he said he expected to compete with Trey Flowers for the Seahawks starting job at right cornerback. Predominantly, I think um, for right now, I'm probably going to, you know, they don't want to throw a lot at me at once. So I'm probably going to just start out on that right side and once, you know, I learned that right side, then, you know, the sky's the limit. I'm, and I'm just open to help the team. Uh, the Seahawks said they are aware of the situation, but they have no further comment uh, at this time. And the NFL said yesterday it's also aware of the matter. No further comment. They will review the incident under the personal conduct policy and hand out discipline if warranted. That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Danny and Gallant is coming your way in seconds right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Everybody have a safe, happy, and wonderful weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday.